0: We'll start there in verse number 13. 13 starts with a conjunction that is going to change the direction Paul has been going. And he's going to establish some things based on what he's already laid out in chapter 2. So let's lead uh, verse 13 down through 17. It says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the tradition which you have been taught, whether by word or by epistle, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which have loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Let's go ahead and pray. Again, Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you. We ask for your help and your blessing. Lord, I pray you control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray that it would feed your people, that it would strengthen Lord, that it would draw us closer to you. Please use this. I pray for your mercy and your grace. Please help, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that uh, also, of course, if there's anyone here that has never truly been converted, I pray for that conviction and that drawing, that perhaps even this evening, they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you be glorified and honored, Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's set the context again of what we've been going through here, this church and Of course, it's a young church there in Thessalonica, and they have been worried. They've been shaken and troubled as it starts off in chapter 2 telling us they've been fearful. Um, They thought basically they missed the rapture. They thought they'd actually entered a time of God's final judgment. Remember, they were under severe persecution. That was one of the reasons why they thought that. And then, of course, they had a false teacher come along, even even pretending to have some type of letter, perhaps from the Apostle Paul himself, some type of authoritative letter, and, and, and claiming that you have now entered this final judgment. None of it was true, but anyhow, it had shaken them, and, and they were fearful as a result. So Paul is trying to encourage them, very similar to how he did in 1 Thessalonians. We're trying to give clarity to what's going to take place when Christ returns. In the first Thessalonians, he dealt with simply the fact of the rapture itself. He said, listen, before all this judgment takes place, before wrath of God comes, we're out of here. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord at that time? And and, and so he establishes that doctrine and he uses that to try and comfort them and let them know we're not appointed under this wrath that's going to hit this earth. But again, between the first and second Thessalonians, somebody come along, that false teacher, they're shaking once again. And so Paul is trying to reassure them, trying to comfort them. And, and in chapter 2, he, he just got into even more details. And he wanted them to remember, he said, listen, a lot of this I taught you when I was there. He wanted them to remember that. And, he, and he, on chapter 2, he focused in on the Antichrist and this man of sin. He said, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. Those events are connected. The son of perdition. And, of course, he lets him know that there's going to be an event that takes place. This man of sin, this Antichrist, it's going to happen. He's going to set himself up as God. There's going to be a deception that takes place. People are going to believe it. And, of course, we know from the book of, uh, between Daniel and Revelation exactly when that takes place. That's when he's going to go into the temple, three and a half years into the Great Tribulation. And he's going to proclaim that he is God and the world's going to believe it. We see why here the Lord's going to allow a strong delusion to hit. And all those who have rejected truth, that did not love truth, and remember we focused on that really two weeks back to back there, but had pleasure in their unrighteousness, God said, that's it. You have crossed the line. There is no going back. You will believe uh, uh, um, in the antichrist lies and his deception. And so he's, a, he's giving more doctrine about what is to come during the great tribulation so as to let them know you're not in this. It's not even close to taking place yet. These things will all be taking place when it hits so they can have some peace that it has not happened yet. And so now he comes back to where they are right now with this change in verse 13. He wants to deal with where they're at and what they need to do with all this truth. He wants to contrast what they possess now, what's awaiting them in the future as compared to what he just described that this world is going to face when the Antichrist comes on the scene and God's Spirit now allows that measure of evil, that level of evil, I should say, to take place on the earth. And, of course, Paul here, again, so he's basically going from the prophetic side, the prophecy side, to he's going to get very practical in how this should now affect your life. So Paul was very balanced, and we certainly need that today. Too often, especially in churches, pastors can get that way. They can get on just sort of one priority in ministry, one attitude, if you will, or even one thing gets emphasized, and, and that can always lead to problems. The, the thing to emphasize is always truth, the truth of the Word of God. <clears throat> so Paul now gives further reason, and he really stresses it here, how they should not be shaken. How this should not have taken place. That what you're seeing should not have troubled you. You should not be shaken. You should not be fearful. How that really does need to stop. And they need to stand fast. And see what they actually possess right now. What they have. How they need to live based on truth. Not what's false or not on their feelings. Paul's emphasis here is going to be on the truth of God's word. In contrast to Satan's. Great lies and deception that he was sending to the earth. And he gives here what a believer's responsibility when it comes to truth. He's going to show even what I've entitled this here this evening is chosen for glory. He's going to show them what they've actually been chosen for because they are saved. He's trying to encourage them to stay strong. I'm going to put it in three C's here this evening. Number one, chosen for glory. Number two, called to stand fast. And number three, were carried by the Lord. So let's dive into this as he comes into this final encouragement uh, um, to this church at Thessalonica about n- to no more be shaken, to no more be troubled. Let th- the fear should not be here over this. He says in verse number 13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Paul now again switches gears. He's laid out how horrible the world is going to be when the Antichrist comes to power, the delusion what God allows to take place, the evil, the wickedness, but now he switches. He wants them to realize what they have coming. That's what the lost world has coming, but here's what you have coming. And, of course, how that should uh, uh, not lead to fear or being shaken, but to comfort. He starts by laying a framework for their salvation. The, The beginning basis of it was the fact that they were loved of God, the beloved. And this is true of all of us. God loves us, and that's what made salvation possible. I mean, you think, love is always in action. But you just think about that for a second, that God chose to set His love on us. It really is an incredible thought to think about. There is no salvation apart from that. If God does not choose to set His love upon us. For instance, right now, just think in your own life, somebody that you love dearly. Somebody that it is demonstrated in action. That is demonstrated in who you are. That, you, that we're not talking simply about a feeling. We're talking about in your life, it's somebody that, that, that you love dearly, that your love is actionable on that. Do you understand? That can't even come close to the fact that the creator of the universe has set his love upon you. And that is the basis for our salvation. So he reminds them. Again, this is all trying to get in their mind. Why You're not going through this wrath. It's not going to happen. The basis, the, the start of their basis of their salvation was the fact that God loved them. Then he goes through how this is a work of God's spirit and their faith and truth that leads to their salvation. Although it certainly includes hell here, but understand, it, contextually here, what he's dealing with, what they got when they are saved, it, it obviously includes salvation from judgment of hell, but contextually here he's saying you're saved from all this wrath. You're not going to be here for all this. You're saved from this because of what Christ did for you. He saved you. And, of course, that is done through a work of God's truth and God's Spirit. That's how every single person is saved. The moment a person truly repents and places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Spirit indwells them. A new nature is produced. Now, what's amazing about this new nature is it's perfect. It's sinless. It's incorruptible, as the Bible puts it. Now, you still have your old nature, which is full of corruption and full of sin. But the work that God still does in you is perfect. So he's reminding them again of what took place when they got saved. How they received this new nature of God... How the salvation is, and by the way, it is the same for all. You must be born of the Spirit of God as a result of you responding to the truth of the gospel. There is no other means of salvation. And again, think, if you have salvation, I mean, wow. Think of all that you have. That's what he's trying to remind him of here. He's saying, you guys are so shaken and so troubled, and and yet you don't understand what you possess. And remember, it's it's not that... I mean, Paul has patience. I, I don't think he's frustrated. That might be too strong of a word to use. But this isn't the first time they're hearing this. <clears throat> so this is Paul's point. Think of what you have. They're living in this fear. They're, they're shaken and troubled, yet there's no reason for it. Now I want to cover... One teaching aspect of this text while I'm here, because this is a proof text uh, for a portion of Calvinism called unconditional election. Um, They have several different verses they use, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 is one of those because of the wording where it says, Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. This is a common verse that is used. And, and to answer that is very simple. The question is, what is from the beginning? Even as I was reading today, a lot of the different commentaries that I read, you can tell they have a Reformed theology, Calvinistic viewpoint. And so they go immediately to the foundation of the world. I mean, everyone. Foundation of the world. That's not what Paul says, though. That's not what he says at all. Do we have anything in Paul's writing that he tells us what he's referring to, even in relation to this church here, from the beginning? And we do in the book of Philippians. Look over in Philippians chapter 4. says in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 15, remember the church of Philippi and Thessalonica were the very first two churches in Macedonia. Paul refers to that here. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of what? The gospel. When I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as with. Uh, As concerning giving and rejoicing, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once again unto my necessity. The beginning that Paul is referring to is when they heard the gospel. When he came in and presented it. Not from the foundation of the world. That's not what he's driving at here. See that also, I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but Acts chapter 16, 9 and 10, we'll be getting to that shortly. On our Sunday morning series going through the book of Acts. Again, the book is referring to the Lord's direction and the leading the Apostle Paul beginning the work in Europe and Macedonia. The beginning of his ministry, really, as he had set out on that second missionary journey after following up on the churches from his first missionary journey. From that beginning. And the verse is even clear as to the means of salvation. It's not through a decree of God. It was through sanctification of the Spirit and a belief of truth. So now let me get back in context of what we're dealing here with, with Paul. So Paul's letting him know, listen, you, you got saved. Understand what all that you have with your salvation. He says, you're missing this. You're troubled and you're shaken. But God, God Almighty, the Creator, loves you. I, I mean, th- your life should not be about this. You are saved. So as a result of that, look at verse 14. Wherefore, he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. Paul now tells them of their future. How they have been chosen to obtain the glory of the Lord in verse 14. The incredible future that we all have if we're saved. He says, listen, understand this. You have been chosen from God to glory. Not what you think is coming right now. You think you're under this wrath. There's no truth to it. That hasn't happened. God has saved you. He saved you for a reason. He basically go like this. Why did he love you? To bring you to glory. Why did he save you? To bring you to glory. Why did he call you? To bring you to glory. Why did he transform you? To bring you to glory. I mean, if you, we think what's waiting for us. And that's what he's trying to drive at with him here. One day, I mean, we will receive a glorified body. One day when we see Christ, we will be like him. I mean, just think of how incredible that is. He said this is what you've been chosen for isn't for this wrath to come. That's not what happened here, but to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, one day we'll have that glorified body. All this will be done with apart from this sin nature. It'll be done. Over with. He says, listen, this is your future. We shall be like Christ. We shall be delivered from all of this sin. We have a great future that's awaiting us. Now, as a result of that, that brings us to our second point now. That brings us right into our second point, And that is, not only have we been chosen for glory by God but now as a result of salvation and what we have coming, there's responsibility. We are called to stand fast. We got to therefore, right there in verse 15. Because of the truth that he just laid out in verse 13 and 14. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by word or our epistle. He tells them they need to stand fast. He gets very practical here now. Pointing out their responsibility because they are saved. He gives it's twofold, stand fast and hold. God works in this world as you hear me stress all the time. It's 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 been true since going all the way back to the beginning. To the garden. God works in this world through the truth of his word. Through truth. Satan will do all that he can. The spiritual battle that is very real and genuine. Where Satan concentrates himself. People think all... Satan doesn't necessarily have time for you. Do you understand that? I mean, he is he's in charge of the structure. And the basis of his battle is always going to be against truth. He is the he is a liar and the father of it. He knows the destruction he can cause by disrupting truth. Satan opposes truth by substituting truth for lies by by his he can be so subtle about it. multitudes choosing to believe lies and actually resist the truth and make no mistake about it. Satan has accomplished some of his best work through so-called Christian institutions. Whether it's colleges, churches, seminaries. Those that have the form of godliness. But it's always amazing how it's something that's based on experience and not truth. Truth always, is always going to be attacked. Again, that's where Satan's battle, where, where he, likes to, he, he likes to hit. So he's encouraging him, listen, you need to stand fast, you need to hold. Satan appears as an angel of light, and that's where he does some of his best work. So because they are saved, because of what's coming, because they've been chosen for glory, they have truth, they are to stand fast. And let me briefly cover the word tradition here. I think it's important. And how Paul is using it in this context. So that there's there's no question here. The word simply means this. That which is handed down from one person to another. It's the exact definition of that word and how it was given. That which is handed down from one person to another. Paul in this case in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and how he is using that is not at all referring to any man-made tradition by Paul or anybody else. Clearly, he is referring to what was preached to them, what was taught, and the epistle that he sent, and now two. In other words, in here, he is in fact referring to truth. He is referring to the Word of God here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, of course, any tradition that does not agree with, and this is just a side note from this, any tradition that does not agree with or goes against the word of God should be changed. But Paul was not dealing with tradition in that sense, as you read, as he refers to his epistle. He's referring to how they got moved, how they got shaken. They had truth. They didn't stay with it. All right, And he's telling them, stay with it. What we, have, what we have passed to you, stay with it. He wanted them to stand fast. Don't move away from truth. And of course, that's exactly what they did. They forgot. They didn't remember, as he put it earlier in the chapter. They did not hold fast. It led to them being shaken. He says, you've got to stand fast. Not only stand fast, but he wants them to hold. The word means, hold fast, hold firmly, with power. He's saying this, don't be careless with God's truth. My favorite part of the definition of the word was this. It can mean, to be a master of. To be a master of. Many Christians can get in trouble for the simple reason they don't hold fast to truth. You've got to hold fast because you've got to see how bad you need it. You hear it. You might read it in your devotions. You hear it preached. But you don't hold fast. When I, I, What came to my mind when I was preparing this, with, I was going through the definition of hold, was uh, one of the first times that I went sp- uh, spearfishing at night. And you've heard me talk about the guy, Sam. He's one of the best spear fishermen there. He could just go underwater for minutes. It was just incredible. He'd been doing it his whole life. And so he had one night. He had took me spear fishing, and uh, it was the problem was again it was cloud covered. It was a light drizzle. And when you're snorkeling like that and diving down and snorkeling, I just held the light. I wasn't doing much spearfishing myself. I was actually just watching him. Diving down the reef at night, it was pretty neat. The, the parrotfish, like, blow a bubble around themselves. So they're, they're like the easy targets just to go ahead and spear because that sort of protects them from their enemies when they blow a bubble around themselves and the, the lobsters are there and whatnot. And, the, and that, this was the same night where I, had, I did not realize that squid can illuminate themselves. And one of them did it right in front of my face when I dove down. And I was glad I was in water, <laughs> but nonetheless, I went up as quick as I could up there. That that just freaked me out when I saw a squid light up in this fluorescent green blue right in front of me. I did not like that at all. So anyway, I was diving, not paying attention. We we're probably an hour into it. Well, when you're not really paying attention, you can get a pretty good distance away. And so I popped up, and I had no stars for reference. Again, um, I. I we're not in a, we don't have power, so you can't just over and look at a, a bunch of lights. And I got completely disoriented. It felt like I was just in the middle of the ocean. Well, that's not me. I don't like that feeling at all. I cannot just go to my back. That's no problem. Something will happen. That's not me. And, well, Sam popped up about 10 seconds right, right next to me. I held fast. I jumped on his back and grabbed his neck and I said, just get me somewhere I can stand right now. And I wasn't letting go. At all. I wasn't. I'm so you get me sick. And he's laughing. He says, All right, there's just a portion of the reef right over here. I said, I don't, just get me there. And he'll tell you, I wasn't going to let go of him. If I was drowning, he was drowning. That's all there was to it. That's how that was going to happen that night. But I held fast. I held fast because, you know, I knew I needed that at that moment. You need truth. We handle it so carelessly today. Nobody holds fast. Listen to me. We're seeing it taking place just in the last weeks. And then the devil comes along and he substitutes experience for truth. And people love that. Makes them feel good. It's not about holding fast to truth anymore. The battle deals with truth. The devil doesn't care how religious you are. He doesn't. As long as he can get you away from truth. That's where the battle lies. Do you know how many religious people are going to split hell wide open? Christ said in that day, judgment day, multitudes are going to say to him, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have have we not done many wonderful works? And today we have a movement apart from truth that's condemning others and we're doing it in the name of Christ-likeness somehow. Of wanting to avoid truth because we might be offensive. The devil will give you all the religious experience you want if he'll keep you from truth. We have to hold fast to truth. People are more worried today about grabbing onto a religious experience than they are truth. They're seeking a feeling. You know, I feel God more than ever. Yet, what is taking place? And, and it's obvious. I'm not dealing with nothing that's even black, that's even grayish. It's apart from truth. Where you know, you know what? But I'm reading the Word of God. This is how it should be. Listen. Base your decisions from how you serve God in life on truth. Not what you feel. On truth. That's where the battle lies. That's why Paul's tell. That's why they were shaken and troubled. They weren't holding the truth. I remember when G, that was the thing. I don't care where you go. I think it's true in every single culture, including the United States of America, where people want the experience. They want to experience something. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In New Guinea, I remember I was talking with a fella, and he was in the aid station, and I was witnessing to him, and he told me he was fine. He told me he was fine because God had appeared to him. God had appeared to him and given him a vision and how he just needed to be obedient to God. And he, he said that he told me how the vision was. The vision was of arrows and, and whatnot. And I, I don't question him. He had some type of vision. I, I, don't, I, I don't think he was just making that up out of the blue. I don't. But I did tell him, I said, listen, that's completely opposite of truth. I said, I know you think that was of God. But what you're telling me goes directly against his truth. Because he was telling me if if he obeyed commandments, he was okay for eternity. He's, He's fine. There was no truth in that whatsoever. Don't allow yourself to be deceived because you're seeking an experience instead of truth. When you know something's truth, again, hold fast. Listen, things are going to come to try and pull you away, to pull you out of truth, to shake you from it. Hold it with power. Hold it firmly. And then lastly here this evening, to finish up, this work, what's, what is amazing about it though, is that we are carried by the Lord. We are chosen for glory, called to stand fast. And then third, verse 16 and 17, were carried by the Lord. He says, He puts this in the form of a prayer in verse sixteen and seventeen. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Where He goes here with this now is to let them know that there, your ability to do this in ourselves is limited. We are sinful, weak creatures, is exactly what we are. But boy, if we will trust in God, it's something that He does for us. He's the one that can establish you in truth. He's the one that can establish your walk. Paul praised that through God they would have the comfort that they needed because they were troubled, that they would be established because they needed that. They were so, so soon shaken when they shouldn't have been. See, they made a choice To let go of the truth that was given. They didn't hold fast. Had they held fast to it and said, listen, listen, we had truth. Paul preached that we're going to be taken out. Is it truth or not? Had they just held to that truth, they would not have been shaken. They let it go. They let it go. But they had somebody come in with a letter. But they had the Apostle Paul. The letter went directly against what Paul told them. You're not appointed to this. You're going to be taken out of here. He lets them know what establishes you, though, is God himself. It's a work of God that he does. And one thing I do love, let me point this out very quickly. It's It's just a side note from it, but something we certainly need in our day you can see in verse 16 how it's another one of the, uh, of the verses in the Word of God that equates the Lord Jesus Christ as being God. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, it puts them in the same. So it's, it's another one of those verses that is, a, that is a strong verse for the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is in fact God. So here, anyhow, God knowing that, he, that He's loved us, He has saved us, we have His grace, the hope of what we have coming, knowing that He has chosen us to glory, he then asked God, please establish Him in two things, word and word. Understand what Paul's saying. God just didn't save you to save you. He didn't. He wants, wants us to live our life close to Him, to be effective with our Christian life, so he, Paul in his prayer says, he knows the Lord was the ultimate comforter, and he is, to be able to go to him. You know, there's so many great examples of it. We're not going to turn their scripture up, but again, I think of David, when his own men turned against him. It, the, the, all the wives, children were taken captive and everything that was going on. And David knew it was his own poor decisions that brought him near to that point. And how the only comfort at that moment he can go to, possible, was the Lord. And you think of different places in Scripture like Psalm 103 that are there specifically to try and give you comfort. They can go to Him and trust in Him. They can go to, you can go to Him knowing He cares. You can go boldly into the throne of grace knowing He understands you better than you do. He understands the situation you're in better than you do. So He prays for their comfort to come directly from God. And to make sure that God would establish them in their talk and in their walk, basically. And that's true. Our walk needs to match our talk, if we're to be effective. <clears throat> he wants them to live it. He wants, them, he, he wants the, their speech and their life to match. He knows it's in this that they won't be walking around all discouraged, all down, shaken and troubled. Well, remember when we talked about the city of Thessalonica. The devil had been fighting since the very beginning. He was going to continue to fight that work. It's in a key location. It can have a profound effect in all of Europe. I mean, that church that got started there. If the devil can keep them confounded, troubled, fearful, they'll never be effective. And Paul is bringing them back now say listen he, and, he, and he gave more he, he, it wasn 't like Paul went right to the end of chapter two when he started this he didn 't at first he gave more comfort. he said, listen, here's some more things that are going to take place you 're going to have the rise of this man of sin that hasn 't happened yet there's going to be this massive falling away when it comes clear that this that this person who's come to a world leadership position is, in fact, the Antichrist. He's literally going to set himself up as God. He said, none of that's happened. And then he comes back to your eyes and says, listen, but don't forget, you've been saved. Because you're saved, God did that. He's called you to glory. I don't mean that in the sense of calling us to heaven. I mean, he's, he's talking about what God's going to do for them in the end. And he said as a result of that he pleads with them stand fast. Hold truth. Don't be so soon shaken. And then he prays. Listen, the Lord is the one who can comfort he tells him. He's the one that will establish you in word and in work. It's him. So it's that yielding of our life to him with every head bowed and every eye closed.